I think somebody here wants to talk about vampires. But I want to hear you talk about vampires. What can you tell me about them? Forget what you think you know. Vampires exist. My name is Blade. I was born half human, half vampire. They call me the Daywalker. Tonight, the age of man comes to an end. Welcome to the now playing Blade movie retrospective series. Now that's the guy I want to hear about. I want to hear about this character, Blade. Part of the now playing Marvel comic movie series. Ooh, so exciting, isn't it? Hosted by Jacob. So, you're the hunter they all fear. Stuart. Ready to die. I was born ready, motherfucker. And Arnie. He was born perfect. And just like the great white shark, this guy has never had to evolve. Join us at NowPlayingPodcast.com each week as we review a new Blade film. What the hell makes you think you know about hunting vampires? There are worse things out tonight than vampires. Such as detailed plot spoilers and mild language. Listener discretion is advised. It's open season on all suckheads. Let's get down to business, shall we? Hello, you cock-juggling thundercunts. Today we're discussing Blade Trinity, starring Wesley Snipes, Jessica Biel, Ryan Reynolds, Parker Posey, and Triple H, directed by David S. Goyer. I'm Arnie. And do you know what one lesbian vampire said to the other? What? See you in 28 days. If you knew that joke, you saw the director's cut of this film. Stuart in LA. And this is Jacob. Coochie Coo. (laughs) (laughs) You know, Arnie, it's a now playing tradition to read off the cast when we introduce the movie. I just got to do something with Blade Trinity. Let me just introduce certain members of the cast here. Blade Trinity, starring Jessica Biel, Ryan Reynolds, Parker Posey, John Michael Higgins, Natasha Leone. Patton Oswalt. This is a vampire movie? I thought we're doing maybe a raunchy sex comedy or a Christopher Guest improv movie. <laughs> like, this is a crazy cast. It's all of the above, <laughs> Jacob. It really is. We are dealing with Blade Trinity and writer David S. Goyer, who has written all of the Blade films, has now ascended to director. And he had directed one other film before, and I kind of feel like sometimes these directors have to do, like, a small project, kind of like the way the Brothers Wachowski did Bound before they did Matrix. They sent Goyer off to make Zigzag in 2002 before he got an actual budget with Blade Trinity. What's Zigzag? Exactly. It's a small urban drama starring John Leguizamo and has Wesley Snipes and Oliver Platt and Natasha Lyonne. Oh. So, Goyer and Snipes, you know, they were pretty buddy-buddy on the Blade 2 commentary, and I guess since Snipes is the producer of the Blade series and everything, Goyer now has complete control. Which would beg the question, why does he do Snipes so badly in this movie? I hear your point, Jacob, that Snipes really is eclipsed by all these young comedy stars. This is a Blade movie in name only. And I'm just going to say here, this is where I've decided that with Blade 2, the stuff I like, that had to be Del Toro bringing it in. Because now that <laughs> Goyer's doing directing and writing, I got problems with this film that I didn't have with Blade 2 or really even the first Blade. Well, I said that Blade 2, when we reviewed that film, had a totally different feel from Blade 1. 
This makes it three for three. Yes, it does. This is the least cohesive series that I think we've ever reviewed. Well, you weren't on Philip K. Dick, but I hear what you're saying. Yes, but those were all different kinds of short stories. This is supposed to be the same character in the same universe going from movie to movie. It shouldn't feel like a different movie every time. Well, they're still working on this formula. I feel like they have yet to really define Blade as the central character and give him a story that best featured him. And they were working towards that, but I feel like they went in the opposite direction here. I feel like Goyer, now that he has complete control to tell Blade's tale, would rather tell anyone else's story. (laughs) Well, Del Toro wanted to do the same thing, too. We discussed that in Blade, too. (laughs) Yeah, no, I get it. Again, I asked. Knight, do you have B.O.? What is it? (laughs) I did notice, it was worth checking, not counting some movie he did called Brooklyn's Finest, this is the last opportunity you would have to see Mr. Wesley Snipes in a movie theater until present day. He has not been in a legitimate movie really since. So you're calling this legitimate movie. You're already giving it higher props than I thought you would. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe Stewart's going towards that recommend on this final installment of Blade. (laughs) I would definitely watch another Blade with Wesley Snipes before I would watch his Art of War 2 or whatever direct-to-action nonsense he's making to pay the IRS back. I mean, I really feel like this was the last hurrah for Snipes. And it makes me sad because I do have warm memories of his early career. I did feel like he was a charismatic actor that got trapped doing Van Damme and Seagal knockoffs and now really is just stuck in that mode. Well, we'll get into it. I've got some stories to tell about Snipes on this film. Can't wait to hear, but I guess it's plot summary time. Well, as the movie starts, did you guys notice we finally get the Marvel logo? Yeah! Is this an official Marvel movie now? Blade can now show up in the Avengers? It's the first one to come out after Spider-Man. I think Blade 2 got the rip because that was only 30 days earlier, but no Marvel logo for you. Well, Blade and Whistler have been continuing to slaughter the vampire community, and Blade's actions have drawn the attention of the media, as well as vampire Danica Talos, played by Parker Posey. What are you doing here? Realizing that Blade is a threat to all vampires, Danica has begun a search for the ultimate solution, a vampire warrior capable of defeating Blade. The first vampire ever, Dracula. (laughs) (sighs) Dracula, Dracula, Dracula. Or Drake, if you wanted to be hip. Yeah. (laughs) Because if you want to be hip, you go to Bram Stoker for your source (laughs) material. We'll get there. I'm having trouble getting past Dracula, but we'll get there. Finding the body of Dracula in a temple in Syria. (laughs) (laughs) How far is Syria from Transylvania? Just wondering. At least it wasn't a temple in L.A. this time. (laughs) At least they picked an old place. Danica brings the Vampire King to the States, but finds Dracula, or as Stuart said, he's now called Drake, is petulant and moody, wanting to feed constantly, but unwilling to help Danica with her problems. So Danica, along with her brother Asher and muscle man Jarko Grimwood, yes, he's from Blade, not Harry Potter, played by wrestler Triple H, begin a secondary plot against Blade, having one of their familiars pretend to be a vampire, then videotaping Blade as he murders the man, and with the tape released to the media, as well as aid as some well-placed familiars in the FBI, Blade is hunted down as a murderer. Captured by the FBI, Whistler commits suicide, again, while blowing up 
Blade's computer files, and Blade is taken into custody, but broken out by the Night Stalkers, a vampire hunting group led by former vampire Hannibal King, played by Ryan Reynolds, and Abigail Whistler, Abraham Whistler's bastard daughter. They take Blade in and help him hunt down Dracula and Danica, and uncover Danica's plot is larger than killing Blade. She wants what they call the Vampire Ultimate Solution. Death to all humans, keeping only a handful alive literally in plastic bags to provide vampires with a food supply. But the Night Stalkers are also working on an ultimate solution, a biological weapon called Daystar that will be airborne and kill all vampires, but in order to work, it needs to mix with Dracula's blood. Dracula infiltrates the Night Stalkers' lair and kills several named actors like Patton Oswald as Weapon Master Hedges and Natasha Leone as blind hematologist Summerfield, but kidnaps Hannibal King and Summerfield's daughter as bait for Blade. Blade and Whistler... Abigail Whistler, I guess I should specify, not Whistler resurrected yet again, go to rescue King and indeed do break him out. King takes out Grimwood while Blade and Drake have a sword fight that with aid from Whistler, Blade injects Daystar into Dracula, killing all the vampires in the building, Dracula included. But what happens next depends on what version of the film you see, but in all of them, Blade leaves the Night Stalkers behind and goes out on his own as credits roll. So, we gotta start with the biggest thing I had a problem with in this whole plot summary, Dracula. Why did they go there? I'm surprised it took them three films to go there. Honestly. I mean, they make such a point about this is a secular world, religion, crosses, none of that affects these vampires. It's not about sex versus puritanical beliefs, which is all that the Bram Stoker version of vampire really is. And to bring him into this, it isn't in this world. But I guess the comic that originated it, that's where Blade came from, right? Yeah, it was called the Tomb of Dracula. And you know what? When Blade 3 came out, I didn't know that Blade was from Dracula Comics, and so I really hated Dracula then. Now, having done this retrospective, research Blade a little bit, knowing that the character actually originates from fighting with Dracula, I can kind of go with it a little more. Now my problem merely becomes with the interpretation of Dracula, not with the inclusion of Dracula. And I'm right there with you, Arnie. I don't care about the inclusion. It's the execution here. And we'll talk about them. But yeah, honestly, it makes sense. If you're doing vampires, you're eventually going to get to some version of Dracula. It just seems expected to me. So I didn't freak out over the fact that Dracula's in here, but it's how he's in here. Perhaps it's more accurate to call him the missing link, because Dracula is Bram Stoker's novelistic impression of this character that existed for centuries prior to the writing of that novel. I mean, yeah, it's the guy that inspired Dracula, but he's 7,000 years old. He's in ancient Syria at the beginning of this, when they excavate him. He is, what, as old as human beings? Close to earliest man civilizations? But did not evolve. They make that point. He did not evolve. Whereas other people grew, and depending on your belief, crawled out of the swamps, he has always been a supporting player on Jersey Shore. <laughs> or at least he was like the shark. I mean, the shark hasn't evolved for billions of years. It's reached its perfection. Yes, they make the point that Drake or Dracula here is the perfect 
I don't know if human's the right word, but the perfect humanoid specimen. And this is where it seems less like Dracula, kind of Dracula in name only, and more like something out of an Anne Rice book, like the first vampire. I know that she did some story, I think it was in Lestat or one of them, maybe Queen of the Damned, that talks about the first vampire and all of that. They don't go into why Dracula is this demonic vampire, but he's the one who's, you know, all bites lead to Dracula. I guess I can go with that if they had explained his origins, if we had understood some reason about why he had been that way. But it is just accepted. Hey, he's in this tomb. We have Parker Posey and her gang going to bust him out, and he's just eating a few people, and that's it. That's enough said. We go from there. And that, to me, is irksome how cursory it is. And I guess they needed a bigger and better villain to fight Blade. And if a vampire that feeds on other vampires wasn't big enough, after Blade 2, I guess it's the biggest thing they could get. I guess I understand from that approach. I don't know. I mean, this came out in 2004. By this point, Dracula 2000 had come out. D2K, remember that one? Didn't see it. I did, in theaters, no less. <laughs> Whose fault is that? <laughs> Wes Craven's. But, okay. And I think it had already had a direct-to-DVD sequel at this point. It didn't work. Bram Stoker's Dracula in the 90s, it didn't work. Even Buffy the Vampire Slayer had fought Dracula in season four of the series. It didn't work. I just don't think you can bring this character into a modern age and make it work. Especially on screen, where we have to buy a performance. And, I don't know, the actor they got to play him, Dominic <laughs> Purcell... <laughs> I've seen a couple episodes of Prison Break. I sort of recognized him before. He's not what I would envision as a classic Dracula, that's for sure. <laughs> He's got nothing on Langella or Bella Lugosi. <laughs> well, well, before we even see him in human form, we get a bad rubber suit version of him. I felt like they were stepping up the budget with this film. You know, you start off with this big opening scene in Syria with pyramids and helicopters. And then this awful rubber-suited demon-looking thing. I kind of liked it. I'm going to go on a limb. I kind of liked this vision of Dracula when he bursts out with the horns. You didn't go for it at all? If it looked good, if it didn't look like a bad rubber mask of Darth Maul. They knew it looked so bad, they tried to put in a fake strobe light. <laughs> the strobe light. It was a fake post-production strobe light. Oh, no. They did not have a strobe there. It's so obvious. They just were like... In post, black, white, black, white. I can tell a good strobe light. I love a good strobe light. When we get to Alien, we'll talk about a good strobe light. You, sir, are no good strobe light. You're a cheap post-production effect trying to hide a cheap in-production effect. And yet, it's still more convincing to me than Dominic Purcell. I would have preferred the whole movie be a cheap man in rubber suit than Dominic Purcell. Oh, boy. Dominic Purcell... I have never seen Prison Break. I've never seen him in anything that I know him in. Looking at his resume, yes, I've seen a few things there, but I don't know him from anything but this. But if you want an actor to bring gravitas and danger and menace and age, having lived thousands of years, don't call Dominic. No. He carries the weight of Scud from the last film. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say this. I'd rather have Stephen Dorff as Drake 
<laughs> and this guy here, like, at least he kind of seemed threatening. He was taking out the old family. This guy walks around with his shirt unbuttoned most of the movie. No, it's a total Guido stereotype. It's ridiculous. I mean, the gold chains, everything. It's Tony Monero from Saturday Night Fever. It's ridiculous. I can't believe they thought this would be cool. I can understand why they thought Stephen Dorff would be cool, because he's emulating the cool of Keith Sutherland from Lost Boys. But this guy, what is your point of reference for a vampire here? I mean, it is totally Jersey Shore. <laughs> and five years before Jersey Shore existed. Well, yes. Maybe they go to him for tips, but it's <laughs> it's horrifying to me. <laughs> it's the scariest thing in the movie. <laughs> yes. I don't go with it at all. And he doesn't seem to be feeling much about it either. I feel like either the man has absolutely no acting talent, which I don't believe because he's continuing to get work, or he just does not care about this movie and doesn't know what to do. And it's just really giving cold readings of these lines. No performance, no mystique, no danger, no nothing. I mean, he talks about watching Christ getting crucified, and you wonder if he's even read the script. He's vacant in that supermodel kind of way. Well, then it's a good thing he's not really part of the plot. (laughs) (laughs) They're blading him in this movie. He's tangential just as much as Blade, the title character, is. Granted, he is exactly as one note as Blade is, and there's certainly enough other personalities going around. You didn't need someone with Tood, but I feel like if you're going to evoke Dracula, you need an iconic performance, and this isn't it. This is the guy you get to move the lights on the set. This is not the guy you put in front of the camera. Yeah, honestly, I just never bought him at all as this character, as a menace. The only thing he had going for him is he looked tough. He looked like he and Vin Diesel could go toe-to-toe. They already got Triple H in this, though, right? Why don't they just have Triple H be Drake? (laughs) (laughs) At least that would be funny. Like, at least he has a personality. He could cheese it up, camp it up. You're not wrong, and I don't understand this choice. Yeah, I see the guy, and I see Prison Thug. The shorn hair, the big ears, and all Like I said, I can't shake Prison Break whenever I see him. He just looks like a thug. And I don't think of Dracula as being a thug. Yeah, I haven't seen Prison Break, but I was thinking extra on Sopranos the whole time. It never carried to me that he'd even be one of the Mafia Dons, let alone a thousand-year-old ultimate vampire. I believe that this guy has never evolved. He's very Cro-Magnon. Yeah. But (laughs) other than that, no, not the right villain. But who is our villain in this? Is it Danica? Is it Drake? And I hate that they call him Drake. If you're going to bring back Dracula, call him fucking Dracula. Don't bring back Dracula to call him Drake. At least he's not D. (laughs) I would have preferred it. Yes. Can we just call him D? Because I don't want to call him Drake. We'll call him D. He is D. (laughs) But what about Danica? Parker Posey, is she the main villain? She's kind of the mastermind behind everything. Well, she's an arch villain. I feel like she's too comedic just in her nature to really work as a threat the way that, say, the Reapers did last time. But she's bitchy, and she's certainly the one trying to get things done. Dracula looks bored. D is hanging back. All he wants to do is feed on blood. He's really not involved in any of her plots for world domination. It's her show, but he's the alleged threat. So, sure. I'll go with her as being one of the primary villains. I don't think we're asked to fear her, but she works... To a degree. And at least I'm enjoying her performance. I think that's right. Yeah, Parker Posey, who I like anyway, I enjoy many of her films, 
And going back to D and his non-acting, I really wonder if this was a decision by Goyer, because when we see Danica, the way she delivers a lot of her lines, it's with this unattachedness. Like, I think about when they're interrogating Blade, and she walks in, and she's like, Blade, I like your tattoos. Do they mean anything? But she says it totally dry and with no emotion, but she pulls it off. She gets how she's supposed to deliver that line. So I wonder if that was Goyer's direction for these vampires, and she, as someone that can actually act, was able to pull that off, whereas D totally fails there. What I've understood is that's all Parker Posey's choices there. I have to believe that. She's kind of the same in every movie. And Arnie, I need to bring up screen three at this point. She was a sticking point for you. You didn't like her. Any better here? I really don't like her in much. And certainly not in Scream 3. Coming into this, I kind of feared her. Because it's like, oh god, she's going to be in this again. I have a confession to make. In my own mind, I confused her in this movie with her role as the villain in Josie and the Pussycats. <laughs> and so when I thought I hated her in this movie, I really hate her in Josie and the Pussycats. I love her in this movie. I really do. I love every little detail she brings to her character. I love her laconic line deliveries. The hey blade. I love that she can come off as menacing and can come off as valley girl. I even love her little eye movements, and I'm not even sure if that was an actor's choice or if the contact lenses just irritated her and that's what ended up happening. But whatever the reason, I like her in this film. I was smiling when she was on camera, and that's very rare for me with Parker Posey. Yeah, I enjoyed her performance here, and more to the point, I think she's evenly matched with the sub-hero. She is the female villainous equivalent to Ryan Reynolds' snarky anti-hero Hannibal King. They're comparable. Blade is as one note as Drake is. You gotta have some personality, so we have the personality villain and hero as well. It's evenly matched. And whether or not Danica is the villain, I think we've all said this, we're glad she's on the screen. She's better than Drake. <laughs> But yeah, neither one really carries menace. Right. What I needed and what I got in Blade 2, that Reaper quality, is absent entirely from Blade Trinity. Well, with the Reaper, at least that was horror, you know, and this coming from horror comics. Here, I just want somebody I feel could take Blade in a fight, and neither of these cover it. But then we got Triple H, who... Alright, I gotta say, I had no idea who Triple H was until... I started looking at special features. I thought this was a stunt guy. I figured he'd go out in the first fight. When he kept living, I was confused. Now I understand he's Triple H, which I don't know what that means either. It's a wrestler. Yeah, he's a wrestler. <laughs> Keep up. Come on, Arnie. <laughs> Question. This character that he's playing has silver fangs. Don't they blow up at the mere touch of silver? It seems like you don't have to do much with silver. You know, get them to sit down to fine dining, they grab the wrong fork, and poof. <laughs> I don't think they were silver. I just took them as metal. I thought... Perhaps platinum? Yeah, it could be platinum. Maybe it's some bling. But I just thought it was a callback to Jaws from James Bond. Me too. I would have liked maybe Hannibal King had removed Triple H's things at one time. Like, give me a little bit of backstory if you're going to throw in something weird. Well, they put a bomb in him. That's how they get rid of him in his teeth. He bites it or something. I don't know. It's all very unsatisfying. He's a caricature, but he's not really a character. And I feel like a lot of the cast is that way in this film. Sure. Like Parker Posey, like Ryan Reynolds, that they're there to play characters. 
characters because we've already discussed they've done a poor job at developing Blade as their main character. They can't develop him. I don't know. Maybe that's the right choice. Give us a sexy raunch comedy instead of a supposedly serious vampire movie. Well, let's talk about Blade in this film. And when we start off, Blade and Whistler are still on the hunt. And I really got a big laugh out of the line. It starts off with this great car chase action scene. I'm really enjoying it. And Blade stakes the human and goes, why aren't you Ash? And the guy looks up and goes, why aren't you smarter? And I'm like, yeah, I've kind of wondered that a couple of films. Yeah, we had all come to the same conclusion, right? It was clearly going to be uh, human. Why wouldn't you conclude that instantly? And Blade has no problem killing humans. He says in the film he's killed 1,182 humans. Thank you, Arnie. This is my problem. They try to set this up that, oh no, Blade's actually murdered a human, and that's why the FBI is going to go after him now. But then later on you say, no, he's killed thousands of humans. Then why was this such a big deal? Even Blade plays it off. Whistler says, oh my gosh, you killed a human. That's the one thing you can't do. You kill the vampires. They turn to ash. There's no evidence. Like, they act like it's a big deal that he killed a human, but then they blow it off later on in the film. Yeah, and it's not an innocent bystander. It's a familiar. It's not a big deal. If he had killed an innocent, it might have meant something to the audience. It might have been a big deal. I feel like Goyer might have been already in Dark Knight mode. He has story credit on all of three of the new Batman films, and I feel like Blade is, in this incarnation, the closest to what Nolan was doing with Batman. I feel like the anti-hero... I mean, the movie even kind of looks like the Nolan movies. Didn't you get that Dark Knight kind of vibe to the cinematography and just the way Blade is coming off in this movie? I definitely got at the beginning with this car chase. Yeah, it did feel a little bit like Dark Knight, the Chicago street chase under the bridges and everything. And I gotta say, good theory that Blade's now a fugitive, because I'm wondering this. This is a guy that walks around with a sword sticking out of his back like He-Man. Like, it's not like he tries to disguise this. Why isn't the FBI and the police going after this guy? Even if the bodies he kills have turned into ash, why isn't there a manhunt for Blade? And they try to bring that in here, but then it's just thrown out after the first act. It's a way to bring in the rest of the cast. Well, the question really is, how much of the rest of the world understands that they're in the midst of a vampire uprising? I mean, the movie kind of starts, one of the early scenes is of Eric Bogosian doing a talk show in which it's a national debate on TV between cops and therapists about whether there's vampires or not. If people understand that there's vampires, they're not going to see Blade as a negative, right? By the same token, though, on that show, they say vampires aren't real, but let's talk about this Blade fugitive who is real. So even before this America's Funniest Home Videos moment with Blade, they know that Blade is out there and presumably killing people. Yeah, even if they don't believe he's killing vampires, they know he's killing. Like, there should already be a manhunt. He should already be on the FBI's most wanted list at this point. It shouldn't be some proto-YouTube video that gets him busted. That said, happy to see James Ramar from The Warriors, personal favorite movie there, as the put-upon FBI agent given the job of trying to find Blade. I don't know him from Warriors. To me, he'll always be Gans from 48 Hours, but this guy's in everything. He kind of is. He's got that cop look or thug look. There's just something about him that you want to see in these kind of vigilante movies. But man, does he have anything to do in this movie? They introduce the idea that the cops are looking for Blade, but after they raid the place and give a reason to blow up Whistler, they're out of the picture. Again. Yeah. Now let's talk about that raid. First of all, this is where I started having a problem because Whistler and Blade have no problem killing familiars, and I'm fine with that. They've been killing familiars since Blade 1. The FBI comes 
themselves. And I kind of raised this question with X-Men 2 when the troops started infiltrating the school. Whistler and Blade start blowing away federal agents now. Thank you, Arnie. This is a huge problem for me because, you know, okay, I get it. They're trying to actually save humanity by killing vampires and killing the familiars who are vampire sympathizers. But now they really are just being bad guys. Don't start killing law enforcement for your crusade. Like, that makes it really hard to sympathize with you. Oh, I agree. If I was having likability issues with Blade before, I really don't like him now. It's gone too far. I think you need to play it that way. I think you need to play it like Blade has gone too far and that we are more against him at the start of this movie. It gives him somewhere to go. Character art. God forbid the, the character actually <laughs> shows some dimension, but maybe you could have his story being about finding a balance between protecting humans and I don't know, but it's really not a great way to bring us back into Blade's world. What about the death of Whistler? Assuming he's dead for good this oh, time. I'll be up. back in Blade 4. Don't count on it. <laughs> Assuming Chris Christopherson's still alive, they'll find some way to back alley him into like, oh, I walked out in the back and it was a little hot, but I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> I was turned into a vampire. <laughs> yes. Flame on. I mean, have, have any of us ever liked Whistler? Like, I feel the movies really want us to like Whistler and think he's a badass, but I've never liked him. Arnie liked him. I liked especially in the first one, his grimy energy. I liked him as a counterpoint. You know, he's very rough compared to Blade's fairly smooth, even though Blade's emotionless. The problem is, the two aren't like oil and water. They're not an odd couple. You know, they're both cantankerous and kind of either one of them will kill you. It's lethal weapon with them both being Danny Glover. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I liked him, but especially as Blade 2 went on, I liked him less. Here, I felt like he was being written by a five-year-old child. I'm sorry I got old on you. I feel like your father. You know, it's like, wow, Whistler, you've never had this heart on your sleeve quite so blatantly. You usually were kind of quiet. Well, they're setting uh, us up for what they're about to do, which is clean house. Out with the old, <laughs> in with the new. That's exactly right. We might as well have just said, Blade, I don't fit into your demographic anymore. I gotta get out of here. <laughs> but I got some friends. They made this inhaler. We'll set it up. Suck on this. And in about 10 minutes, you're going to have some new friends. <laughs> you're not wrong. No. On any of that. But did his death emotionally impact me? Do I feel like it's sad that he went out this way? I think it's sad they couldn't have written a better way for the character to go out. Maybe fighting vampires, since that's what he was all about. Him blowing up. FBI guys that weren't... Some of them were manipulated, some of them weren't. You know, we find out later that some of the FBI have been infiltrated by familiars, but not all of them. Like, yeah, I'm right there with you, Stuart. I don't want to see him taking out FBI agents. No, it, the whole thing was disrespectful, and it was just the wrong way to deal with Whistler. Don't have him at all if this is all that you were going to do. If it was all just about assuring the kids that the old people are going away now so that the young people can have their fun. It really makes it even worse that they brought him back in part two, doesn't it? Yeah. Might as well just let him die with honor in part one. I agree. They have yet to justify his reemergence. I mean, you could have had him be a vampire. Or, you know, I'm not going back there, but yes. And the thing that kills me, it's not like they stuck Whistler in these movies because he's from the comics. They made him up for the movies, and they had nothing to do with him in all three films. But he does have a sexy daughter that we never heard of before. 
I, uh, <laughs> Welcome back, Jessica Beale. This is three for three for now playing. I'm not sold yet on Miss Jessica Beale. Jessica Beale, yeah, she's in those romantic comedies, but I also feel that Hollywood is trying to convince us that she's also like an Angelina Jolie or Sigourney Weaver, that she could play the tough action hero. She's in the A-Team and that awful, awful stealth movie. Do you buy her as an action hero? Because I'm just not believing it every time I've seen her in this type of role. To put a finer point on it, I don't think Hollywood knows what to do with Jessica Biel. They know she's got a pretty face and a great body. They know they want to put her in the pictures, but they've tried her in all kinds of movies. She's done costume dramas, all of this. I never feel like like she's working in anything. I just don't ever get a sense of a soul there. I mean, this woman just does not have any human quality. It's total mannequin off of her. And she's about as good a, an action person as she was a horror victim in Texas Chainsaw or a love interest in Next or any of the things that she does. I just feel like they don't know what to do with Jessica Beale, And maybe she just hasn't gotten the right role. I can believe that she could probably impress in the right role. But every time she turns up, I feel like it's just airless. There's just nothing to her. Do it. I figured it out. You put it perfectly because she is great to look at but then she can't do anything with acting michael bay you ever do transformers 4 oh perfect we got shia labeouf no, next no guys i'm just gonna cut you off right here do not megan fox her she's not the greatest but she has grown on me i like her a lot in texas chainsaw massacre i think she works here i think she's pretty and she's tough she is not angelina jolie level of acting but i like her in a lot of the films I've seen her in. I like her in Chuck and Larry. I like because of acting, though, Arnie. Like I get the looks thing, but acting. No, like- I do not find her all that attractive. For truth be told, really, really, she's not my type. She lacks curves. I like Alba. I like Fox, but Jessica Biel just never really yanked my chain in that way. But I enjoy her performances. I enjoy watching her. <laughs> I like Jessica for her mind, not her body. All right. Well, you know, I, you, I think you're, you're losing me here. I think that she has a tough-as-nails quality. Stuart, you describe it as mannequin. But when I saw her in A-Team, it came across as steely. It worked for me. She works for me. I definitely don't think she has the attractiveness to be the car model of Megan Fox and Jessica Alba. She's pretty, but she's not H-A-W-T hot. So I think she's fine, and I think she's fine in this. I don't mind her in this. She's not Parker Posey good. She's not Drake bad. Arnie, I'm going to say, I think you're just sympathetic towards her because she uses a freaking lightsaber in this movie. (laughs) I hate that. (laughs) The technology in this film. A lightsaber? (laughs) It did take a big leap forward in two years, didn't it? Yes. I'm not even sure how it's helpful because she's using it to fire bows. Like, No, no, no. She has a bow to shoot her arrows, but this is something separate. It just looks like a bow. Oh, that wasn't her crossbow? I thought she could turn her crossbow electric. Oh, very strange. No, this is a lightsaber that is half as hot as the sun, but apparently you can hold it right next to you. No sunburns. And it's a transformer because you push a button and it shrinks down to a hilt. Yes. Fortunately, it's never even used, except for the one scene. So why have it? I don't know. I feel like Jessica is checked out of this movie. I mean, like, her character, it's even written that, like, she's playing around with her iPod and, like, listening to music while she's doing the action. I'm like, yeah, she's not paying Blade a bit of attention. I hated that, too, because that is such a horrible thing. If you're in a fight, you need 
all your senses. You need to be able to hear people sneaking up on you. You don't walk into a life or death situation, you know, with the- Incubus in your face. No, that's just don't yeah. <laughs> It's ridiculous. And more to the point, this should be a relationship. If Whistler is dead, she should be moved by that. She should have some connection to Blade, right? Yeah, shouldn't she have either some affection for Blade or hatred for him because he's been responsible for her father's death twice now? Like, shouldn't there be something? So, Blade is broken out of prison by Jessica Beale's Night Stalker. I gotta say, finally, they've at least given a team a name from the comics. It's like, so much of Blade has been changed from the comics. I'm like, okay, oh, Blade was part of a team called the Night Stalkers where there was a person named Hannibal King on the team. So, at least Goyer's gone back to some of the source material, finally. And I've been saying that he needed his X-Men. You know, they tried to have that Euro team, but they all kind of crumbled by the end of Blade 2. So this one seems to stick if there were a Blade 4 to carry over into it. But Blade hates them. He hates them the whole movie. <laughs> yes. Yeah, he has no problem getting along with other vampires as a team. But now these people who are on the same side as him, you're too young to be killing vampires. What? You're a bunch of rookies. What is that, a fucking joke? They got a freaking lightsaber! Like, obviously, they know what they're doing. They built his inhaler. <laughs> he challenges the way they dress. I mean, he's like the cranky old man at this point. It really is like, oh, Dad, won't you let us go have fun? Why are you not leaving my house in that thong? You know, like, I feel like he will not allow the kids to take over his movie because he can smell it. He can smell that they are there to take the franchise away from him. These are Night Stalkers, <laughs> but they are stalking Blade. Wesley Snipes' days are numbered, and he knows it. I mean, his career is in the toilet. This is, again, I want to stress, one of the last times you're going to see him in a movie theater. This is his last best hope at a hit. And it's being totally stolen out from under him. Stuart, are you saying the movie has now become self-aware of Wesley Snipes' career? And, like, <laughs> it's all folding in on itself and commenting on real-life situations? Well, I'm willing to bet that Wesley Snipes had a lot to do with his dialogue and his feelings about the necessity of this team. I do feel like Blade and Snipes are one and the same in these moments. You're not wrong at all. There are several scenes here where Blade is in them where Wesley just didn't show up on set that day. Wesley was very upset about the inclusion of the Night Stalkers. He, as soon as filming was done, wrote a five-page letter to New Line describing how he disagreed with this film. And it got personal. Even, I've never heard this before in a commentary, but at one point, there's a commentary with one of the other producers and Goyer, and Goyer says, this is a hard thing to watch, and it's a scene of Wesley fighting, and he's referring to a guy in a rubber suit, and the producer goes, you mean an actor just phoning it in? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I don't know all about the behind-the-scenes drama, but it's to me, it reads on the screen. To me, the fact that we never have a bonding moment. You know, it's not like Wesley doesn't trust them at first, and they win him over, and they're all fighting together at the end. They're all in three different movies. She's got her iPod on <laughs> in one room. He's taking on Drake in another, and Ryan Reynolds is walking away with the franchise. Yeah, and in fact... Wesley refused to shoot several scenes as written. Like, the scene where they break him out of prison, apparently the day of filming, Wesley's like, Blade walks out that door alone. 
I'm not filming it with, I'm walking out with Hannibal. I'm walking out that door alone. And they're like, well, what the fuck do we do with Hannibal? You're trapped in a room with him. So they actually had to film a scene of him climbing out a window so that Wesley could get his single shot. <laughs> That's hilarious because they're on the street. Ryan and Jessica are downstairs being like, did we bust him out? Where is he? He jumps out a window and be like, I had to get my stick. <laughs> yeah, this is <laughs> really like you couldn't walk out with everybody else. You had to do it your own way. Wow. I have to, to think that was perhaps written, but the walking out of the room down the hallway. Yeah, he was doing that alone. And so, yes, you're not wrong in reading a lot into this. These are scenes where Wesley's shooting them Wesley's way when Wesley agreed to show up on set. There are scenes where they just had to use insert shots of him. He wasn't even there. But here's the thing, Wesley. They're not wrong in trying to spruce this up. I don't know that they needed to young it up. I don't know that everyone needed to be from a CW show, but I do feel like he needed more array of characters because his personality to watch a whole movie, it's just dull. It's very clear you have to infuse a Blade movie with several different types if you want to retain our interest because Blade is all about rage and he's not funny. He's not romantic. He's not any of these things. And so they brought in people that can do that. Hey now, Two Guys, A Girl, and a Pizza Place was on ABC. Don't be relegating (laughs) that to the CW. Whatever. I think you're on to something, Stuart, because even the one, I guess you could call it a bonding scene between Abigail Whistler and Blade is after they find Summerfield's body somewhat crucified in the crucifix position, at least. Blade, how does he console Abigail? Use it. Use it. Use it. Like, dude, your friend just died. Like, yep, use it to get really pissed off. That's how you should mourn. Like, I don't like this character. Give me anyone else. Give me Ryan Reynolds. Let's get to Ryan Reynolds. Hannibal King. Stuart, I just want to hear. Tell us now. How's Hannibal King working for you? It's not the worst. I'm not. It isn't the worst. I mean, I feel like. I was set up to totally despise him after Green Lantern, but I feel like I would equate him to Stifler in American Pie. In American Pie, Stifler works because he's funny and they don't use him much. But in American Pie, he's in every scene going, douchebag, and you hate his guts. And the problem with Reynolds is he's being asked to carry this movie when Wesley's not showing up. And when the story is no longer about him, it's suddenly all of the time Ryan Reynolds making joke after joke after joke. It's too much Reynolds. It is improperly imbalanced. He himself is fine in the role. You got me. I will lay down and say he is completely <laughs> adequate in a sub-Harrison Ford way of trying to be the snarky anti-hero. He's okay. But this movie asks him to be the lead when Snipes steps back or is shoved out. Now, I want to contextualize this because this is a career-defining role for Ryan Reynolds. I mean, these days, you think of this movie as being right up his alley. But at this point, all he'd really done is like Van Wilder and Two Guys, A Girl, and A Pizza Place. He had never done action. He'd just been a comedian. Yeah, part of it's he buffed up for the role, right? He had been, I don't know what, flabby or skinny or whatever he was, but he'd really physically committed to this role. He was now thought of as a leading man and not a comedian. He wasn't Adam Sandler anymore, right? And this is the film that made that change. He came really out of nowhere again, except for Van Wilder. And this film is what made him the versatile star he is today, where people think of him as Deadpool and people think of him as Hal Jordan. If it wasn't for Blade, he 
probably be off doing some guest starring role on Cougar Town. Yeah, I could see that. And I gotta say, I feel like Reynolds here is the audience voice that we're kind of sick of Blade and his bad attitude. That we want to tell him to fuck off and lighten up. I think that's why Reynolds works here, because he's saying what we're all thinking. That probably helps. Yes. Yeah, I mean, for once they got it right. In the first movie, they made it Frost, and it's the villain. In the second movie, they made it Scud, and he's also a villain. Here, they finally put the funny, likable, charismatic character on Blade's side. Well, as close to Blade's side as you can get before Wesley turns on him. (laughs) (laughs) And I love the fact that Blade hates him. I love that, too. I love that interplay. I love... How every time Ryan Reynolds delivers a line, Wesley looks at him, and you don't know whether it's Blade and Hannibal or Wesley and Ryan, but there's some bad blood. No, you can definitely use it (laughs) to take (laughs) self-help. Use it! And they can take a character that's not very interesting in Blade and partner him with someone that's his opposite and do that. I mean, buddy cop movies are made of that. Lethal Weapon all the time. So they're getting some of the formula right. What they're not getting right is the balance of the formula. There is too much Reynolds. We can all agree on this, right? By the end of the movie, it's almost every scene he's walking in and cracking a joke. And that's tiresome. Not for me. Towards the end, I love how Reynolds and Posey interact. I love that they used to be boyfriend-girlfriend and that they just fight the entire movie. Like I like that interaction. They're back and forth. It's just so mean and nasty and fun. It's the only romantic relationship that's ever worked in a Blade movie, and it doesn't (laughs) involve Snipes. Man, I bet he was pissed. And I like the fact that there's actual menace there. I like how she says she's going to turn him back into a vampire again. Because, again, he got that magic cure for good guys. Yeah, they never... (laughs) Where is this cure? Why are they curing vampires off left and right? Oh, I've given up at this point. I don't even ask the questions anymore. Good guys get to turn back. Bad guys get to get killed. That's the rules. That's the way it works. You're not wrong. I do feel like this relationship is kind of fun as a subplot. And I do feel like Posey and Reynolds do have the right chemistry because they're written in the same way, in that snarky voice. And you can believe it. You can believe that these guys hooked up on a bad date and that she kept him captive as a vampire for five years. You know, she even put his tattoo right there on the pelvis line. I mean, she's definitely enjoyed the way that she's pussy whipped him. And, and, <laughs> and he resents it. And I think that's fun. What doesn't really make sense is later when she's recaptured him, she's procrastinating biting him. Yeah, I guess they could just cure him again, too. I mean, they might as well have done that, but... <laughs> yeah. I wouldn't have minded, let me put it that way, if she had turned him into a vampire and really upped the stakes when he might eat that child. But they don't really want to go there. It's an idle threat. These characters really wouldn't work in a tense situation. They're comic relief. And unfortunately, it's Blade the comedy by the end of the movie. I don't know if it's unfortunate. I really enjoy the mix of action and comedy, and Snipes brings the action, Reynolds brings the comedy, and that does work for me. And I don't know that they got it wrong. I mean, it's like saying Wesley was in the film too much. You know, really, the thing that throws the whole balance out of whack is Whistler Jr. here. Because the thing about buddy comedies is you always have two, right? Nolte and Murphy, or Murtaugh and Riggs. Here, you've got Snipes and Reynolds and... Abigail Whistler, and that is a harder balance to pull, and I'd say the movie does not pull off that balance well. But they cop to it. It's a trinity. I mean, it is three. They do tell you on the poster. For some reason. That's what they want to do. I guess it's the third movie. Yeah. Yeah. And they have some vaguely connected thing to crucifixes and 
I mean, that imagery keeps playing out, even though it doesn't affect these vampires. I, yeah, it's an interesting idea to have three, and you're right. It doesn't work because Beole just doesn't seem to want to play it. Now, what about the rest of the Night Stalkers? Stuart, we talked about Brian Posehn back with the Fantastic Four Rise of the Silver Surfer. Are you familiar with Patton Oswalt? No. He's, again, one of those geek comedians. I think I even mentioned him back with Fantastic Four. He was mostly from King of Queens. He's done some stand-up. Don't judge his stand-up from King of Queens. He's a good stand-up comedian. He was good in King of Queens. I I just don't like that show. (laughs) I don't know either. But you're talking about, here's the weapons expert who comes in, shows him one thing, and then gets killed in a pool of blood. Yes, he's Q in the film. Yes. Not really used very well. And then Natasha Lyonne. Now, we all know Natasha Lyonne's had some problems, right, in real life? I had to feel bad, yeah, (laughs) because she nearly died. Yeah, but is it perhaps some of these problems that made her go from a leading actress in the 90s to a supporting actress in Blade Trinity and even American Pie? I always wonder when I see her in a supporting role, what the fuck happened to bring you here? Wait, wasn't American Pie her... I thought that was her big thing. I thought her big thing was Slums of Beverly Hills. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well... Where she carried that film. But that wasn't a very big movie. It's arguable, but I feel like American Pie was where she was at her peak, and then five years later, what had she done with it? Well, Blade Trinity. (laughs) Right. And she's barely in here, and again, I just wonder, why would you get Natasha Lyonne to play the part of the blind scientist? And she looks bad. She looks bloated. She looks unhealthy here. I feel like whatever she was going through, she wasn't having a much better time than Tara Reid. All those American Pie kids, they really crapped it away, and she's no different. The rest of the team, you know, it's called Trinity for a reason. The rest of the team is here for a body count. Summerfield Hedges. Remember, there's some dude that drives them decks. He's in there. Remember him? (laughs) I I couldn't even get his name on two watches. (laughs) I watched the director's cut and the regular cut. I still didn't know who this guy was, except he looked like Delroy Lindo. Yeah, Dex comes in, drives in, and picks him up, and never see him again. And then conveniently, after Natasha Lyonne dies, she leaves a helpful video saying, I'm almost done with the cure, and I've given it to this French dude named Calder, and he'll give you the rest. I got a real problem with this cure. They're working on the Daystar virus, and it's going to kill all the vampires. Yes. And she's going, there's just one thing we need to make it work. Dracula's blood. And I'm like, okay, I'll go with that. You know, I will go with it. They keep going for Blade's blood because they need Daywalker blood. So the humans need Dracula's blood. I'll get that. Because he would genetically be the source for all vampires. Yes, but I thought they needed to, like, get a sample of Drake's blood back to the lab because, you know, scientists would like to test something (laughs) and perhaps, you know, actually use it in a formula. I didn't ever get the impression it was a compound that, when injected to Drake, would actually work. And no scientist in the world would ever say, this'll do it, without being able to test it on something similar. I'll get to more core thing. Does she have a Braille microscope? How is she even seeing (laughs) these transformations happening? Really? I mean, I'm sorry, blind people can do many things, I'm not knocking the blind, but if you are the only person working on a cure and it involves test tubes, you're not going to know if it's working or not. Well, maybe she was asking her child, is it doing mitosis? (laughs) Yeah, the little Zoe. I'm going to read you Wizard of Oz after you tell me if the cells have split. (laughs) And we can assume she's been working on this biological weapon for some time. 
it's just muddled. Like, we're going to make this cure. We're going to need Dracula's blood. We don't know Dracula's back yet till later on in the movie. I didn't like it. It didn't work for me. It was sloppy. All right. In the midst of all of this, we get perhaps the worst scene of the film. Drake is walking down the street. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, it's in slow-mo. I know where this is going. In slow-mo, because no one can go anywhere without strutting in slow-mo, because it's cooler. Listen, I'm sorry, but anybody can walk in slow-mo and it looks cool, especially if there's a group of them. The three of us could walk down the halls of Comic-Con. You put it in slow-mo, it's badass. But yes, Drake's going down the road, and it's almost like a bad joke. He walks into a vampire store where they tried to sell him a Dracula dildo. Yes. <laughs> so what, this is supposed to be like a hot topic, right? But a really specific hot topic. Like, I know hot topic, they go through their theme. You know, Harry Potter comes out, they all got a bunch of Harry Potter stuff, Transformers, when that was out, they had Transformers stuff. Like, this is a specific hot topic where it's only all vampire stuff. All I could think about is I went to the Mall of America one time, and they had four stores in the mall that were all devoted only to garlic items. (laughs) All the stores sold was garlic. (laughs) Like, we all know that model doesn't work, right? That's why Walmart's so popular. It's (laughs) because... Don't buy those things there. I know where you can go. The Dracula <laughs> store. It's down on 5th and 8th. You, you can't miss it. <laughs> like, what if you're into Frankenstein? <laughs> I mean, it got to the point, I couldn't believe they had the clerk eating Count Chocula. <laughs> uh, yeah. At this point, like, is this just a parody film now? Like, when you look at the actors they got, what's going on? Goyer's written two movies previously, like... Now this is where he wants to take it? Well, here's the thing. It could work. I think Goyer is trying to say that pop culture has made Dracula ridiculous. It has made it a kitsch. Yes, and that would have worked if this had been done post-Twilight, because then I'm on Drake's side. As much <laughs> chest here he wants to show, I'm right there with them. I'd be pissed, too. Well, it only works if you present a Dracula that's actually intimidating and not kitschy. But with Dominic Purcell being your persona of this character, you're not selling the idea of the real historical Dracula. He's just as ridiculous to me. I would have preferred Count Chocula. I would have preferred them to draw <laughs> Count Chocula into the cells, karate fighting Wesley Snipes. I would have preferred if they'd gone back and gotten Gary Oldman and put the eyeballs above it and everything, too. I mean, anything's better than Dominic Purcell. I think Frank Langella <laughs> now could be better than Dominic Purcell. Christopher Lee was between Star Wars films. <laughs> Bella Lugosi strung up on a string. <laughs> I just couldn't believe it. And the performance turned in by the two quote-unquote goth people was really poor, too. I've met goths. They're not that happy to show you their vibrators. That's it. I did want to try Dracola. <laughs> <laughs> they would have had my two bucks. I actually thought the scene afterwards was even worse, though, Arnie. The Dracula was bad, but when we finally get the Wesley-Drake face-off... So we get this montage where I guess Wesley was having a nice, good day, and he decided to team up with the other actors in this film, and they decided they're going to go hunt familiars, which got them in trouble in the first place <laughs> and what information are they trying to get from these familiar like it makes no sense they go to get the psychiatrist and drake just happens to be there like there's no point here they through the familiars one of the familiars is getting a call from this therapist 
who Blade already knew was a familiar from the prison, so why didn't they just start with him? Yeah, all kinds of awful. And he's being killed by Dracula at the exact time that they show up and beat everyone in the lobby. Like the poor receptionist that just takes, <laughs> you know, appointments for a therapist. Sucked in the face. Bam! <laughs> Janitor. But Blade never goes after familiars because then the police would get onto him. <laughs> Clearly Blade is out of control. <laughs> they were really just trying to rip off the Matrix, right? Where Neo walks through the lobby in the metal yes. detector. They were going for that. We'll get there, Arnie. We'll get there to where they're really ripping off the Matrix. <laughs> you know what? I'm going to go out on a limb here, and I know I'm all alone. I'm enjoying it. <laughs> I'm enjoying the montage. I know it's stupid, but there's some fun. Ryan Reynolds and some... Kung Fu, I'm having fun. It's dumb. Yeah, you are alone. You I are know, alone. I know, but... It's cold and lonely and you won't see anyone for days. Because I ain't going anywhere near it. I'm Jessica Biel, Stuart Ryan Reynolds, we're having fun and you're all alone as Wesley Snipes enjoying this film. I'm walking out that door alone! <laughs> I even like the foot chase between Blade and Drake after the shrinks office they have this big foot chase and go through all these buildings i'm really digging it and then drake steals a baby and stands on a roof ledge yes (laughs) then it loses me the baby that's ridiculous the scene is like he's like holding the baby being like you're honorable he calls him an equal and like all of it i'm just like come on now this is not what dracula would do what would Dracula do? He would not dangle a baby off the side of a building and say, Blade, please don't hurt me. This is not honorable. This is ridiculous. This makes him look like the biggest weenie. You want to know something? I think I just figured it out, though. There's something Dominic Purcell does very well. Makes Wesley Snipes look like a master thespian. <laughs> because when Drake is standing there and goes, I'm immortal, and Wesley Snipes says, I must have heard that line from a thousand rats before. All of them have felt the end of my sword. I'm like, that's a great line, Blade. Then Drake comes back, maybe I will as well. But I think it's more likely you fall before mine. I'm like, you pussy. You're terrible. Go away. I don't know. I really feel like it's a mistake not to have a Dracula that's compelling. You'd want to be sucked in by Dracula. You'd want to be on his side. If he's a baby dangler, there's just no <laughs> save in this guy. He is completely contemptible and nothing charismatic. And yeah, get rid of him. Please, Blade. How can they not do the action movie trope of the villain beats the hero and shows that he's more powerful and the hero has to go fight and overcome it at the end anyway? It's the Rocky Three formula. Sure. Why not have Dracula kick Blade's ass? Yeah, I agree. I was expecting it. I don't think Wesley Snipes would have shown up to work that day if that was in the script. Listen, there were several scenes, including the climax, filmed with just his stunt double. They could have done that, too. (laughs) Oh, poor Wesley. And he so needed it. That's what's painful about it, is he's his own worst enemy. He so needed this to be his movie. I mean, he didn't rise to the occasion. He didn't say, okay, they're trying to take my movie, and I'm going to show them why I'm the star. He pouted and went away, and it just became further and further. You're right. We needed a real battle here, and we needed Blade to lose, but I guess Snipes already felt like he was losing, and he wasn't going to throw another fight. (laughs) So I guess somehow Blade finds out that they're harvesting humans in giant blood sacks? What is this? 
It's very Matrix. It's like, you know what? Robots harvested humans to stay alive, and the vampires apparently saw the Matrix and said, hey, there's an idea. Let's just keep humans in plastic-sealed bags and drain their blood and keep them in coma so they keep producing blood. All right, let me do something I'm not going to do often. Let me defend Goyer. Goyer came up with this first. This was actually a scene filmed for the original Blade film and cut pre-Matrix. Oh, or shot at the same time as Matrix, probably. Well, Blade came out a full year before Matrix, so the original Blade film had Steven Dorff with people wrapped up in hibernation for blood. Okay. It's well, an idea Goyer had been trying to insert, so yeah, I could see that you'd see it as a Matrix ripoff, but in Goyer's defense, it is more coincidence. But you know what? If you're late to the game, even if it was your idea, it looks bad. He should have just dropped it, because I don't even know. They shut the machines all down anyway. I don't know what the point was, except maybe he was really dead set on having that scene, and he's in charge now as director and writer, so he's just going to put it in, even though, why is it in here? Admittedly, it's one plot too many now, because I'm confused about Danica's home motive. On the one hand, she's bringing back Dracula to fight Blade, but then Dracula just kind of goes, I'm not your bitch. So then they set up Blade, but this whole making humans the blood bank, that seems like an idea that should have either been the main thrust or again left on the cutting room floor and saved for Blade 4. It makes more sense in Blade because that was Deacon's whole thing. He was like, we don't have to hide anymore and snatch humans when they're not looking. We can just declare that this is our planet now and make them our cattle. This would be the holding pins. This would be the slaughterhouses. And I think it is even shot in a slaughterhouse. Good idea, wrong movie. It should have been in Blade 1. It should not be in this movie. And it comes so out of left field, it almost distracts the flow of the film. I guess it just feels weird that Blade has a scene, you know what I mean? (laughs) Like, without the others, because they're so omnipresent at this point. And the only thing it serves to do is get Blade a Whistler out of the house for a little while so Drake can come in and slaughter B actors. But Drake doesn't kill Hannibal King. I don't know why. I, I was really wondering. I'm like, how could he not be dead? But I, he's taken captive. We can buy the fact that he's going to deliver him to his old lover and she's going to change him as she wants. But... She doesn't. Why are they trying to lure Blade by taking Zoe and Hannibal as hostage? Because they have Drake, and they think Drake can beat anybody. That's it? They're trying to get him to meet in the squared circle to have their final face-off, like they can't just let that happen naturally? Like, I'm confused at this point. They don't know that Blade knows where they are. If it wasn't for the tracker and Hannibal, Blade would never have found them. Was there really a tracker? Yeah. Or was that just a crude joke? No, there was really a tracker. If they needed a tracker to find them, then why take them if they didn't let Blade know where they were? They were trying to get information from Hannibal about Daystar? (laughs) I don't know. I'm just confused by this point, and I don't care. Yeah, it's falling apart. Show me some scenes with Parker Posey and Ryan Reynolds, because that's all I care about now. How about a killer Pomeranian? Hey, I liked it. They brought back that Reaper weird mouth thing, and... Mm -hmm. Again, I don't know if this movie's supposed to be parody with the Dracula store and with Ryan Reynolds and Parker Posey, but I'm enjoying that parody thing more, and that's how the Pomeranian comes off. I'm enjoying that more than when it's trying to be serious. It is more successful as a comedy and as an action movie, and certainly there's no attempt at scares, and that's my problem with it. It's, it's the imbalance, the trinity. They need to be an action movie, a comedy, and a horror movie in a perfect equilateral triangle. And it's not, it's an obtuse one. I don't even know what shape it is, but it's gone so far comedy. To my taste, it's a problem. 
But if you like the comedy here, I guess you won't be able to get your fill. And I like the comedy here. I like the Barry Manilow reference. I like the Pomeranian with the Reaper mouth. I couldn't believe they brought back the Reaper effect on a Pomeranian. I liked it. You know what I can equate this to so far is like Rob Zombie music. I understand the lyrics are dumb as shit, but I'm still having a bit of fun listening to it. Here's my problem. I'm enjoying this stuff. I wish I haven't had to wait, what, an hour and a half to get here? This is the end of the film? You said it, Stuart. I wish this was a equilateral triangle and things were more balanced. I've had to sit for 90 minutes to get some good laughs. I felt it. I want to say here, I saw the extended cut. I didn't watch the original theatrical cut. I don't know how much more was in my cut, but this movie felt really long. I'm like, I can't believe nothing has happened for as long as it's been. All these people have sort of danced around each other and thought about fighting each other, <laughs> but really all of the action and fighting, minus that baby dangling and beating up the lobby clerks, there really has not been any fight in this movie. It's really been all leading up to vague plots of world domination on both sides. Wipe out all the vampires with some bizarre cure the blind woman came up with, or harvest humans in a IV bag, and Drake will do something cool, we think. I think you might have made a mistake seeing the extended cut. I did watch both for this review. The extended cut is ten minutes longer, and the ten minutes are things like the psychiatrist on television. No, no, no. Stuart, I watched the theatrical cut in it dragged just as much. I it, it's it's a problem with the movie. It didn't drag as much. It couldn't have. Ten minutes less much than I guess. It still drags. I prefer the longer cut for a lot of the things it introduces, but it also one of the things it introduces is more pacing problems. It's a palpable difference. Watching both a week apart, I could tell my tedium growing faster on the director's extended edition than on the theatrical cut. I'm not saying either's perfect. If you're looking for good pacing, director's cut's not where to find it. Nor is the theatrical. I'm just going to put it out there. The director's cut was overly indulgent, whereas the theatrical cut was problematic. So we get to the final fight, and the final fight didn't do anything for me. As much as I was enjoying this film, you know where this one really lacked, except for the opening car chase, was the action. I was looking forward to some more of the... Wesley Fu, and when we get to the end, I mostly get to see Ryan Reynolds get his ass kicked by Triple H. Hey, I liked that they were using wrestling moves. Like, if you're going to use Triple H, except I don't know how a guy who earns his living by pulling punches can pull a punch so bad. Like, his, <laughs> I, this felt like I was watching wrestling. Maybe he's used to pulling punches to people who could take a punch. Yes. Here's the problem, though. Isn't this final fight with Reynolds supposed to be against Parker Posey? Like, I don't know why Triple H is still in this movie. It makes no sense. The ex-lovers are supposed to be having their final spat here, not some random villain. Or Abigail versus Parker Posey, because don't you always make the chicks fight? There you go. Abigail has absolutely no one to fight, and Ryan Reynolds has to fight two different. <laughs> Back to our obtuse triangle. <laughs> yeah. I guess it's isosceles. It's something. She ran around, she gets the kid, but from that point on, there's a lot of glass shattering, but I'm not really getting any sense of what she's doing. And then Wesley is fighting Drake, or Wesley's stunt double is, and Drake has turned into a demon. Back in his rubber suit. I want to give him props. I'm glad they went rubber suit. I think it looks a little silly, but I'm so glad it's not CGI. I would prefer the physicality of a rubber suit any day over CGI. Especially if he was like Blade 2s. Yes. So they're doing that fight, but 
you think Wesley's pissed before, he doesn't even get to win alone. Abigail Whistler has to come in with an arrow and distract Drake so Blade can stab him. And I understand, perhaps from a dramatic standpoint, it's no one can defeat Dracula alone. Only together can we defeat Dracula. But I would have preferred it if Blade was teaming up with Abigail by choice. (laughs) Or if it was all three of them, the Trinity that was used to defeat Drake instead of just two of them. Or I I feel Abigail was ripped off. Because what does Drake do earlier when he infiltrates the Night Stalker's base? He goes in as Whistler. He's mocking her father's memory. Like, I feel Abigail should have been the one to get the revenge here. I know it's Blade's movie, but it it? it just... (laughs) Well, it's supposed to be. It's got his name. But I I just feel this whole thing's a mess. By basic movie storytelling technique, none of this is working. They're breaking all the rules and not in a way where it feels new and creative, like someone that's a masterful storyteller could break the rules. They're breaking the rules because I don't think Goyer knows them. He has to know the rules. He's written too much at this point. But you've seen the other two Blade films, right? (laughs) But he's put in too many characters and doesn't know how to handle them all. I mean, this is really his first time directing a big movie. And what about Asher, who's Danica's brother? I don't even remember how he dies. I'm assuming he dies. You know, they have this cure-all. Like, once the cure is released, everyone just sort of melts. So, like, whatever is not killed or... Is that biological virus, whatever, is that supposed to spread throughout the entire world and eventually kill every vampire? You got it. I can tell you now, I've seen Blade the series. It didn't work. (laughs) Like, that's what they say, though. No, what they say is every vampire in the area. Well, they'll die almost immediately because they got to set up the tension that Blade might actually die, which, bullshit, we know he's not. I didn't. I mean, it doesn't look like they want him for the next one in this. Yeah, I was about to say, they might be willing to kill off Wesley <laughs> at this point. But I'm pretty sure they said eventually we'll just kill every vampire. Like, I, I, I agree with you, Jacob. I feel like they kind of hedged their bets and that some things were said to imply that it could be global. It could be a worldwide reach. But it was not totally clear. But I got that impression as well. Yeah, and they also say they only could work up one dose, you know, so who knows? It's whatever they want it to be. It's like Whistler's dead. They want Whistler dead only until they want Whistler alive again. Yeah. They want to have an epic conclusion that means destroying all vampires, but God knows they don't want to close the door on the possibility of having, you know, another Blade or Night Stalker series. That said... Wesley barely returned for this film, and everyone making this was pretty sure it was the conclusion of Blade's story. So, killing the vampires or killing Blade, I think it could all have been on the table. Well, they chose to end the alternate version in an interesting way. Yeah, let's talk about the three endings here, because there are three endings. Three? Oh, three, okay. Trinity, right? That's why? (laughs) Was there a different ending, depending on what time you saw the film, like Clue? (laughs) I'll clue. The first ending was theatrical, which is the first one that I saw. Daystar spreads, and we see Drake and Blade laying there, and then they take Blade into a hospital for, I guess, an autopsy. Yeah, the FBI raids the building because, oh yeah, remember that subplot? (laughs) 
<laughs> Barely. And they think they got Blade, and so they're able to close the case because Blade's dead. But then on the autopsy table, it was actually Drake. And in his final act, he said that Blade is the future of the vampires. And so to ensure Blade's survival, Drake transforms into Blade. Because we didn't make a big deal out of that in this podcast. But yeah, Drake can become other people physically. I was wondering why they were doing that. Because the only thing he ever did was change into that therapist guy to fool them. No, he became Whistler, too. Yeah, they found a way to bring Christopherson back for after they killed him in the film. That was useless as well. They didn't need Whistler for anything. Yeah, because everybody knew he was dead, so that would have raised yeah. as many alarm bells. If he'd become right. Patton Oswald, it would have made more sense. Right. But they say that he can change shapes because his skeletal structure shifts, but apparently he can change skin tone, too, because he becomes Blade. <laughs> can you blush? <laughs> 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 and so he is helping Blade to escape by having the FBI take Drake's body. And then they show Blade out on the prowl with Hannibal King saying, Blade is still out there somewhere doing what he did best. He was a weapon. His life was a war. And everybody knows the war never ends. Even though we made a virus to make the war end. But yeah. Well, I like the alternate ending, actually. I thought... And it offered a chance to do something new with Blade, should they make a Blade for It set him up to be the villain. He is the last vampire alive, apparently. He's bequeathed the status of carrying on the race by Dracula as he dies. They take him to a coroner. The exact same coroner as the regular ending. <laughs> but the woman is... I think Minto looked like his mother or something. And when he gets off the table, you think he's going to kill her or drain her of blood. I mean... He kicks ass. He kicks everybody's ass in the room. Yeah. For whatever reason, it's not entirely clear, but the virus has turned him evil? I don't know. Or is it the bloodthirst? He hasn't had his serum in a while. Oh, could true, true. But that's not as fun because, you know, then you pop him with the serum and he'll be fine again. I don't know. I, I felt like the idea that we could make Blade the villain next time... I mean, certainly, from what it sounds like on set, that might be appropriate. And it would make sense, because the whole time the vampires have wanted to become daywalkers, and mm -hmm. that was the biggest threat, so, yeah, that would make sense. Let's see what that would be. I think that is an interesting direction. And the funny thing is, Lost Boys 2 had an alternate ending that set something up like that very similar, with one of the Frog Brothers coming back as an evil vampire, and I was really excited for that, and then they did nothing with it in Lost Boys 3. Yeah. So it's Hollywood. It's a good idea. Do something with it. Stop changing it. Well, it's certainly a darker ending, but then you still see Blade riding off on his motorcycle. You still have a Hannibal King voiceover. So it's set up where it could go either way. Yes, Blade theoretically could be the villain, but you know that's never going to happen because Wesley wouldn't agree and all of that. So it also sets up he still could be out there hunting vampires. Ending number three was only as a deleted scene on the DVD. It's six months later in Shanghai, and Hannibal King and Abigail go to a casino. Hannibal's told by somebody that there's no vampires left when a grizzly bear-looking werewolf jumps through the window and starts attacking. Wow. Hannibal King says, don't you know that fur is murder? Before you start shooting at the werewolf, and we cut to credits. At least that's funny. <laughs> like, I would have laughed. <laughs> and so it sets up Night Stalkers versus Werewolves. 
for the spinoff. Uh, yes, which Lost Boys 3 went there, too. I Why not some Frankensteins or some creatures from <laughs> the Black Lagoon? Why are we always going to where? I mean, we got Underworld. That's all about werewolves versus vampires. We got Twilight. Let's bring in some other classic monsters to fight. Or let's just leave it be. That's a horrible ending. Uh, you got <laughs> me there. That is the one you delete. Absolutely. You never release that one. That's terrible. Honestly, I think it would have been releasable, except the werewolf looked like something out of a funny beer commercial. I mean, really, he looked like he was going to look at the camera and go, only you can prevent forest fires. Also, it totally negates the idea of even having a Blade 4. There's no more threat. There's no more need for him. We're moving on. I don't see Blade fighting other werewolves. If he was about anything at all, it was about fighting humanity over his other half. And unless he's bitten by a werewolf, I just can't imagine why he would care about that battle. It's funny, because on all the DVD commentaries and things, I think most of these DVD commentaries are made before the films are ever even released anymore, and so they don't know, but they're all playing coy on the DVD about, well, what's going to happen next? Wesley says he's done with Blade, but maybe Blade 4, maybe a Night Stalkers spin-off movie. We just have to see. Well, what ended up happening is Goyer took Blade to television, and Wesley took Blade to court. <laughs> <laughs> Really? Do you guys know about the lawsuit? I want to take the Blade franchise to court, too, because it's wasted a lot of my time, besides that second one. If they had televised this in theaters, I would pay money and go see it. I want to see Wesley get up on the stand with, like, Jessica Biel like, yelling at her. That's awesome. <laughs> you guys don't know about the lawsuit, then? No. I know that Wesley's had trouble and he's been in and out of court and sued people and been sued and run to South America. I, I haven't followed Wes. I'll be honest with you. He kind of fell off my radar. I didn't even see these last two Blade films. <laughs> I mentioned earlier that right when this film was done, he wrote like a five-page manifesto to New Line about how he was a producer of this film. He had final sign-off on director and script and all of this, and he felt like he and Blade were being pushed aside so that the series could be set up for a Night Stalker series and that he did not get his approval of the director and he didn't get his contractual producer rights. Well, he actually filed suit in 2007 saying it was a violation of contract that the director and cast were forced on him, even though in 2002, he and Goyer were buddy-buddy, and he went off to do zigzag with Goyer in 02. But between 02 and 04, there must have been some bad blood. Maybe it was that he was in zigzag? <laughs> <laughs> he claims that he was owed over $3 million still on his salary, and he claims that because their decisions caused the film to make less and he was getting a percentage of the cut, he deserved more there. He also claims, now this is where it starts getting a little bit more shaky, he was harassed and defamed because of his race, and that's why they hired an all-white cast. Wow. After making the blushing jokes in two, now they're making fun <laughs> of his race. And he's also suing for more money, saying that they illegally withheld taxes for the IRS. <laughs> Oh, I see. Yeah, this is right about the time he was going to jail. I get why he's doing this. <laughs> he said that they didn't cooperate with the tax indemnity since this was filmed in Toronto from the Canadian government. And so they withheld um, U.S. taxes <laughs> that shouldn't have been withheld. Wow. <laughs> 
<laughs> now, uh, I'm sure the IRS was like, well, maybe you don't owe us for Blade, but you owe us for some other stuff, so we're going to keep that money anyway. <laughs> Wesley refused to do any press for Trinity. It is well documented how many times he stalked off the set. He had said in an interview at the time of the lawsuit, systemic racism was used to divert focus away from the real issues of an incompetent director and inexperienced producers with a $60 million budget and onto the, quote, insubordinate, difficult, self-immersed black actor. Wow. Wow, that's ugly. Where did that all go? Is it, was it dismissed? Did he get anything? Is it still it pending? It is still pending until Wesley's released. Wow. Um, it was kind of put on hold for other reasons. So this legal action is pending. Now, like you said, Wesley's career was in the toilet. Wesley had been approached to move to television. A lot of big name, once big name screen stars have found second lives on television. Candace Bergen and... Oh, sure, anyone. Glenn Close, yeah. there's a lot of, like, Oscar winning and very successful actors that, as they move into their 40s and 50s, just don't have the roles that they want anymore, but can find them on TV. It's definitely viable. Yeah, so they were talking to him about reprising Blade for the TV series until he filed the suit, and then they went to Sticky Fingers Jones, and... Now, in 2010, in an interview from prison, I guess, Wesley said he is willing to reprise Blade if the script is there. He's looking forward to Blade 4. Sure he is. He can use that paycheck now. <laughs> yeah. I'm wondering if the camera will be there. Or, you know, like, anyone will be there. Yeah, it does seem to me, after what you pointed out, Stuart, that this was the last theatrical film, we might see him at, like, Chicago's Wizard World when he gets out, signing some autographs. Oh, well, you know, I don't disagree with him. When I see this movie, I understand the anger. I'm not sure I would call it racist, but it is not what you would want if this movie was built as your star vehicle to watch it get taken away by a bunch of kids. Agreed. But I guess this leaves Stuart Jacob. Do you recommend Blade Trinity, Jacob? So here's the thing. I said I've watched this movie before, and I had fond memories of it. And there was a time five, six years ago where I did this thing called blogging. I don't know if people actually blog anymore. Hell, I'm blogging every episode of Blade. So it's still around. And what I would do, I, I mentioned before, like Final Destination, I travel a lot for work. So I spend a lot of time in hotels and it gets lonely and I'm married. So I spend a lot of time watching bad movies on HBO and I would just blog about bad movies. That's why I've seen the Chipmunk movies and that awful Tom Cruise War of the World movies. And Blade Trinity was one of the first ones I wrote up on this blog. And unfortunately, I don't have the full text left over. I stopped doing that. It's gone and off the internet. You can't search for it anymore. But I remember some of the comments I made. And, and I think absence makes the heart grow fonder. And I think the reason I have fond memories of this film is because the one thing I did like. That's Ryan Reynolds and Parker Posey's interaction, their performance here. It was humorous, and I enjoyed the humor. What I didn't enjoy in this film was everything else. The lightsabers and Jessica Biel supposedly being tough because she loads her iPod before she goes out into a battle. You know, with the first Blade film, I found it kind of boring, but there was style to it. The director, when he's shooting the club scenes, it had style. When he's shooting the scenes, when you start noticing that there's vampires everywhere, he does these quick little cuts where you see people getting their blood sucked out. And Del Toro, tons of style. This movie lacks style. It lacks action. It lacks coherent storytelling. 
I didn't enjoy this film except for maybe 10 minutes towards the end where you get Ryan Reynolds, you get Parker Posey, you get crazy vampire dogs. Like, I wish this film could decide what it wanted to be. Action film, horror film, parody, whatever. Pick something and be that so I could go with it and judge it based on that. This is just a mishmash of genres that really doesn't work at all. I do not recommend Blade Trinity. Stewart. I mentioned last time that I felt like the team was finally pulling together and that I was enjoying the direction of the idea of giving Blade more of an array of colorful supporting types. They've gone too far with it. The problem is that I don't really like most or don't know most of the ones here. I'm I'm not dogging Ryan Reynolds. I think he should have been one of them. But the rest of the team is is not there for him. And it becomes horribly imbalanced. To recall another Marvel movie, Wesley is like Wolverine in X3. Suddenly there's a lot more mutants around him and he's not the center of attention. But it's not telling a good story. And this needed to be an ensemble if they were going to bring in more characters. It is a real mess. And if you're not going with the humor, there isn't a whole lot here. That said, it still looks better than the original movie. I think I found it slightly more engaging than the original movie. I don't feel like it's as completely far down on the list as Blade 1 for me, but I just don't like Blade. At the end of the day, you can't make a movie about a character you don't like and have me recommend it. There's no way I can recommend any of these Blade movies. This is, unfortunately, another Goose Egg Marvel series, just like Fantastic Four. It's just three in a row. And the second one came close, but there's none here that I enjoy. There's certainly none that I would ever watch again. So pretty strong not recommend for Blade Trinity and not recommend for the entire trilogy. I had to give this one a lot of thought because coming into the Blade series, but not having seen any of them in a while, I considered Blade Trinity my favorite. Watching it with all my faculties enabled and paying attention to it for the podcast This is a film with a lot of problems that start with the opening scene in Syria with a bad rubber puppet and end with a muddled ending that doesn't really make a whole lot of sense no matter which ending you see. And I said throughout this podcast that there were things I enjoyed. I enjoyed the scenes of action whenever they occurred. I enjoyed the humor via Ryan Reynolds and Patton Oswalt. I enjoyed the performances by the cast, including certain actors and actresses like Natasha Lyonne who deserve better in their roles. Triple H didn't necessarily work for me, but the rest of the cast pretty much uniformly did except for Drake. And the biggest problem with this film goes back to the same problem they had with the first one, which is the lack of a good villain. A hero can only be as good as the villain, and when you've got a team of heroes, you really need some bad mofos for them to be going up against. But they really don't have a good villain, Drake never congeals, and the story as a whole, I'm not even sure what the plot is. And so, I I'm, I was really torn on which way to go with this, because there's so much fun I have watching parts of this movie, but there's so many problems I have with this movie. And you know what's going to carry it for me, though, is love Let me guess. for Blade. Oh, okay, that wouldn't have been my guess. What love for Blade? We've said there's nothing to love about Blade. But I actually... Over the course of three films... And the entire TV show. in the entire TV show, have developed an affection for this character's world and his fight. And he is not a character who can stand alone and carry a film. He does need these people around him. 
And I like his action. And the few times Wesley Snipes loosens up and goes, Goochie-goo. You know, it brings a smile to my face. And so affection for this world that was mostly earned in Guillermo's film, I must add. But the affection for this universe is going to carry this over to the faintest of recommends for me. Arnie. Yeah, I feel like you're really giving a pass to a lot of shit for a kernel (laughs) of kind of good. Not even really good. I really had to struggle with myself on this one. I'm not going to lie. It was really close because if this was not a Blade film, if this was just some other film, I'd be tanking it. But my affection for the Blade series and my enjoyment of the performances just floats it barely over that line for me to where this to me is almost a guilty pleasure. I think it's really poorly directed. I think whoever made the choice to give it to Goyer was bad. I think we should find Guillermo del Toro and maybe shoot him in the foot because he was offered directing first but went, nah, I'm off doing Hellboy. They should have waited for Guillermo to be available or found somebody else. Giving it to Goyer, giving it to a first-timer, bad mistake. It needed another rewrite, not to be put in the hands of someone who believes his own words are gold. But... I found stuff to enjoy here, guys. I really did. I ended up watching this film twice for this podcast, and I really, the second time, was judging it. I almost had, like, a graph going, like an EKG of my enjoyment, and it (laughs) stayed above the line. All right. Well, it wasn't the worst thing in the world. I was prepared for something awful, you know, and it really wasn't. But the story is awful. I think we can all agree on that. Yes. The failure of Blade 3 is that it's absolute mess of a story. And if you enjoy anything at all, it's because these characters kind of shambling their way through a really wretched, poor conclusion. And I'm with you, Arnie, when it comes to Blade as a character or the world of Blade. It's not a world I wouldn't mind visiting again if done right. I think Del Toro had a great vision of it. I think if you could balance that horror with the humor, almost a Lost Boys 1 type take, maybe that could work where you have someone counteracting the seriousness of Blade. I'm not against the character or this world. It's the execution of it that's bothered me. And if you want to hear my thoughts on the rest of Blade's world through Blade the series, dealing with Blade's fight against the House of Cthon, you can read all of that in our forums at NowPlayingPodcast.com. But guys, beyond the TV series, we know Blade is coming back to the small screen. Marvel is doing a anime series of shows, and Blade will be on that sometime in the next year. They're also doing Wolverine and a couple others. Are you guys wanting more Blade if Wesley gets sprung and Blade 4 is his path back to the big screen? Any interest? I almost feel like reboot is in order. And, you know, I'm not one for rebooting something that's not more than 30 or 40 years old, but I almost feel like they've never gotten this right. And maybe part of the problem is Snipes. Maybe part of the problem is that they've grafted the world in such a way that it's always this dark one-note, techno-filled something. The concept of a half-man, half-vampire hunter could work. So I won't say never, but I can't think of anything that I've seen in these movies that they need to return to and continue on. They could start anew. That's what I would recommend. 
New Blood. And I, I got to say, you know, when we did Rambo, I said I, I much prefer a 80s action aesthetic more than the 90s. I feel the 90s got really bland, and I feel Blade suffers a bit from that. But I think action movies today, the, the great ones, Crank, you know, they have a lot of energy. The CGI has been updated a bit. I think you could do a fun, crazy, fast action type story. I said I, I would love this to be just a great exploitation, black exploitation film. And I think moviegoers, probably a lot of things goes to Tarantino, are more aware of film genres and more self-aware. And you could do something like that with Blade now, where I don't think the film goers were really at that point when these films started. So I don't know if it needs to be a reboot or whatever, but again, I'd be up for it. I think they could do something good. Well, let me ask you this. Just This is how far out of the box I'm thinking of it. Does it even need to be an action movie? Couldn't they make it a more straightforward vampire thing? No kung fu. What would he use his blade for? Well, maybe he's actually smart. To butter his bread? He can stake them, but does it have to be kung fu? I mean, I think I would enjoy someone who's cunning, crafty. I'd like to see a character track down a vampire, not because there's a tracking device in Ryan Reynolds' ass, but because, you know, he actually knows how to hunt. Hunting's a lot more than, you know, swinging a sword. No, I get what you're saying. You can still have the action stuff, but yes, you know, with Batman, with the comics, there's always a Batman comic and a detective comics. And the Batman comics were always Batman more as the action hero, and detective comics was always more Batman as the detective and picking up clues and hunting down the villains. So there is a balance there, yes. I still think it needs to be an action film, but yes, it could be a smart action film where he's figuring out clues and all that. I think that's my biggest beef is that Blade is just not very bright, as it's been pointed out in Blade Trinity. Like, <laughs> Yeah, if he were better at solving the crime or tracking down the vampires, I could be more patient with his need to do martial arts. Yeah, I would not be opposed to a reboot of this. I definitely would like to see them keep some action because that was my favorite part of this. But there's no reason that they couldn't, you know, change it up and do something different that I might like more. Character development. Yeah, that would be a nice one. And as it stands, having Blade be so stoic does make him incapable of handling a film alone. Maybe they need to team him up with Ghost Rider or something like that. I don't know. Another film Goyer is writing for next year. He's writing the new Ghost Rider one. Shoot me now. (laughs) But yeah, I said I have affection for Blade in his world, so obviously I will be in theaters for whatever they do next. So again, Stuart Jacob, thank you for joining me. And we're just going to keep on trucking like Chris Christopherson with our Marvel series as we go to two more films I don't think Stuart's going to recommend. Basically, I'm twiddling my thumbs till Iron Man, guys, until you prove something that this is going to be worthy of something. What's next? Daredevil and Elektra. You know how much we liked Ben Affleck and Paycheck. (laughs) Oh, shit. He's going to make me pine for Ryan Reynolds. (laughs) (laughs) Who you finally come... He's he's breaking down your wall. If we do a waiting retrospective, you're going to be on board. (laughs) Daredevil and Elektra on Tuesdays for the next two weeks, but we're still getting into Exorcist. The Exorcist 2 coming out this Friday. Exorcist 1 was last Friday in our current Halloween donation series. 
<laughs> what a crazy movie. I'm really enjoying this series. I hope you guys can find $10 and let us know that you appreciate us, and we will pay you back with a battle with Satan for five episodes. Exorcist, Exorcist 2, Exorcist 3, and the two Exorcist 4s. It's kind of a goofy thing. It's a donation of $10 or more gets you The Exorcist, and if you do $25 or more, we're going to throw in three extra podcasts as Jacob, Stewart, and I watch the three things the thing from another world from the 50s john carpenter's thing from the 80s and this upcoming thing with mary winstead who we loved in scott pilgrim versus the world and who we saw in final destination (laughs) three i haven't seen these films but john carpenter i like a lot of his stuff hoping for i don't know (gasps) 20 minute fight you haven't haven't seen john carpenter's thing this is why he's the newbie yeah, I'm the newbie. Oh, I'm so excited for you. I saw, oh, yes, I can't wait. I'll say no more. But don't forget, we always have Totally Free Tuesdays. We're asking for donations. These podcasts are not for sale. They are made as a thank you to listeners who support our show with donations of $10 or more for Exorcist, $25 or more, if you can, for the Thing series. We always appreciate our listeners' support. And these are only going to be available through October 31st, through Halloween, like we did last year with Chucky. So thank you in advance for your support. And you can find the donate button at the bottom of our homepage to donate through PayPal. So guys, I will see you next week or not for Daredevil. I don't get it. Do I because he's blind. blind? Oh, I thought you were giving me the option not to watch it. I'm like, really? Okay. Take <laughs> <laughs> <Dang> it. <laughs> Shit. All right. Hey, I'm just biding my time until Hannibal Lecter. Three weeks. Can't wait. And we'll talk to you then, suckheads. It started with Blade, and it ended with him. The rest of us were just along for the ride. Thank you for listening to the now-playing Blade movie retrospective series, part of our Marvel Comics movie series. So where am I supposed to go? Come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week as we review another Blade film. She likes to listen to MP3s when she hunts. Me, I'm more of a David Hasselhoff fan, you know? And while at NowPlayingPodcast.com, be sure to join our forums where you can discuss the Marvel movie films with other listeners and read Arnie's reviews of Blade, the TV series. A new review will be posted in the forums each day during this retrospective series. Some kind of archive. This must be where they keep most of their records. And in the NowPlayingPodcast.com archives, you can find reviews of other Marvel Comics films, such as X-Men and Fantastic Four, as well as non-comic book-based series including Star Trek, Terminator, Predator, Philip K. Dick, Tron, and many more. We also have individual movie reviews of films like Green Lantern, Avatar, Cowboys and Aliens, and Scott Pilgrim vs. The World. Try some. You might like it. You can also follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where we post announcements of new episodes and where the hosts post movie mini-reviews. Links to our social media pages are at nowplayingpodcast.com. It's time you fucks contributed something to the cause. Don't be a bloodsucker. Donate to Now Playing. Support from listeners like you help keep Now Playing operating. How do you think that we fund this organization, huh? We're not exactly the marching times. You can find a link to donate using PayPal at the bottom of our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. So, 
Can we just go right ahead and sign you up for one of our secret Night Stalker Dakota rinks? You can also show your love of Now Playing Podcast by shopping at our store, where you can buy Now Playing t-shirts, coffee mugs, mouse pads, and much more. The link to our Cafe Press store is available at our homepage. And that's basically turning a frown upside down. Now Playing's Blade Retrospective series is edited by Arnie. Now this here is a man who takes his job just a little too seriously, don't you think? Now Playing Credit Narration by Brock. Sounds good to me. Now Playing is not affiliated with Marvel Enterprises or New Line Pictures. The Marvel characters in all of the Marvel Universe contains is the intellectual property and trademark of Marvel Publishing Incorporated, and no infringement is intended. Damn it, Blade. Don't you see what they're doing? They're waging a goddamn PR campaign. Now it's not just vampires we gotta worry about. We're gonna have to take on the rest of the world, too. The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Venganza Media Incorporated. Didn't know this was a popularity contest. Now Playing is a Venganza Media production, copyright 2011, all rights reserved. Now walk away, stupid son of a bitch. Walk the fuck away. It's not over. There's still a war going on. And I have a job to do. Kujiko. You didn't go through a wrestling phase? I did. It was with the Iron Sheik and the yes, animal guy. Back when they had personalities yes. and crazy names and costumes. <laughs> now, And it was all about the U.S. versus Russia. Yes. What does Triple H mean, by the way? Hunter Hearst Hemsley. Oh. Is that his Triple real H. birth name? No, that was the character's name. So he made up a name so he could make up another name? All right, my head hurts. <laughs> it's a nickname for his made-up name. <laughs> Anyway, it's, it's like, it, you know, it's like The Rock. He, he, he's trying to class it up by going by Dwayne Johnson now, but he's always going to be The Rock, no matter how much he tries to go by his real name. At least Triple H is keeping it real here. I, did, did they use Triple H in the credits? I don't know. I, I didn't pay attention. They did. Kuchiko. I just thought it was a call back to Teeth from Jaws. Or <laughs> Jaws from James Bond. <laughs> Kuchiko. Welcome back, Jessica Beale. This is three for three for now playing. I'm not sold yet on Miss Jessica Beale. Let, feel... let me ask. Sorry. Wait, when did we review? Yeah. I now pronounce you Chuck and Larry. Next. Well, next. Oh. oh, yeah, I wasn't on that series. Here's. <laughs> really is demented when Arnie you're Posey breaking up. is saying, Motherfucker. Use it, Arnie. <laughs> You mean we're not going to get to do a Jason Biggs retrospective? Hey, if we get enough donations this fall, Jacob, you, me, and Marjorie, American Pie. They're doing American Reunion next year. And Natasha Leone is in it. Oh, um. thank God. <laughs> <laughs> Only through the power of modern medicine. I heard she was in a coma for five weeks. Maybe that was during the filming of this movie. <laughs> I can't use it. I can't use it. <laughs> You can use it. Use it. You you can make fun of the social worker and Howard the Duck's big butt, but yeah. Why is it because you know this actress's name that you can't use it? I don't know. You know, I feel like well, no, because she almost died. But if you're dealing with somebody who's really dead, and it's like when we do Superman, are we going to make jokes about how he's in a wheelchair before he died? I mean, I got a half hour material on that. Of course we are. <laughs> Stuart, you know how those little ladies at Perkins reacted to your material. <laughs> oh, whatever. Pshaw. 
<laughs> Not our demo. <laughs> They're like Whistler. They're gone. All right. <laughs> anyway. What were we talking about? Natasha Lee. <laughs> All right, I'm done. If I can't make fun of her bloatedness, what else is there to say? <laughs> make fun of her blindness? Yeah. I got nothing on that. Coochie go. I didn't like it. It Problems. seemed too easy. Can you say that without yawning? No, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> What did I say? Come on, Snipes. Get with it. <laughs> I'm walking away. You can finish, finish the podcast without me. I'll just fucking slice in older. other podcasts yes. like they did here. Yeah. <laughs> you said I didn't like it. It didn't work for me. It's sloppy. I didn't like it. It didn't work for me. It was sloppy. Very good. <laughs> <laughs> I honestly don't even remember saying that, but all right. That's what I what said. What you said was, Arnie's right. I recommend this. <laughs> And it makes me retroactively want to recommend Green Lantern for Ryan Reynolds. Oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> Could you go? It's more successful. No, stop yawning. <laughs> Thank you it's for making my blooper easy. Can you just do the entire review as a big yawn? <laughs> <laughs> it would be fitting. <clears throat> what was I saying? This always happens after I'm yawning. Um, Could you go? In perfect unilateral triangle. Or is that equilateral? Trilateral? No, 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 no. Equal. Equilateral. 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 Yeah. Thank you, geometry. Um, in a perfect, uh, fuck. Equilateral. Yeah. Kujiko. It's six months later. Let me me find my exact notes on this. Does this involve Wesley Snipe finally getting to bone someone? (laughs) Because there's three movies in, someone named Blade, so obviously phallic, they really haven't. Had him sharpen his knife on anything. He didn't get even get his uh, pseudo sex scene by drinking someone's blood Mm-mm. in this one. So, Kuchiko. and I've mentioned Hell, before. I'm logging the. You're also turning in a robot. Yeah. Kuchiko. I travel a lot for work, so I spend a lot of time in hotels, and it gets lonely. And I'm married, so I gotta, you know. So you go get hookers. <laughs> I, I can't do that. I would get in trouble. Kuchiko. And that's Ryan, that's Ryan Reynolds and Parky Parky Boat. They can't even get their names right. Kuchiko. That it? We done? Yes. <laughs> what a fucking night. My computer broke and Stuart doesn't recommend both of these films that I liked. Kuchiko.